If you were with us last night, we took a little bit of time to talk about our our mission for this coming year. And it's a very simple one. And it ties into our passage as we begin the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians this morning, continuing our study in that book. But our, our goal as a church is really very simple. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said this beginning in verse 14 down to verse 16. What he did was he passed the torch to us. And he actually said to the disciples, now you are the light of the world. As hard as that is for us to imagine... Jesus actually passed along the light to us to shine in this world. And though we do not manufacture that light, we ourselves are not actually that light, we bear that light as a mirror, as a reflection of the Lord Jesus. And it is that mission that we are on. And that mission is a simple mission. It is to preach the gospel The true news that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came to this world, lived a sinless life. He was murdered. He died on Calvary's cross. He was buried in the grave. He was raised by the power of God three days later. And that his resurrected life is now in us. And as we believe, we are saved by grace and through faith. That's been given to us as a gift, and we now have eternal life because of that gospel. Amen? You see, the church has become engaged in too many extraneous things, I believe. And while those things are inherently not necessarily evil, they can be distracting. And so I want to set us on a fresh footing, and I want to ask you to do one thing this year. And it's very simple. Find one person and make it your goal to lead them to Christ. One person. Each one win one. That's our task for this year. Now let me tell you what that will do. That will double this church, which will immediately make it impossible for us to fit here, so we'll have to plant some other churches. Do you understand what I'm saying? will cause the church in the world to grow. It's not about growing this ministry. It's about growing the kingdom of God. That is the church's task. We have been sent out on the great commission to go ye therefore into all the world and to make disciples, the first step of which is leading people to faith in Jesus Christ and then teaching them how to walk according to the word of God. It's a simple process, but it requires character. And if you want to be great at it, the Bible tells us in the following verses the first four steps of how to be great in the kingdom. We know that being a servant is that step. We become a servant of the Most High God. But I'll tell you what we're doing here in this church We're taking a whopping three days before our first missions trip for 2017. The team leaves on Wednesday, late in the evening, to head to El Salvador to do a children's ministry conference and VBS and to go minister to those churches which we planted last year. I want you to get engaged. 
Because as the church grows, here's what happens. We have more ministry to do, and that will involve you. And I want you to get involved in ministry. Ministry is not something that professionals do. Ministry is something that the body of Christ is supposed to do universally. And if you are saved, you're a member of the body of Christ, and therefore God has placed you into ministry. Everyone win one. That is the direction that we are heading as a church. Our goal is missional. It's to see people come to faith in Christ, the end result of which, if followed to its logical conclusion, is that we can go home to be with Jesus. The characteristics of greatness in the first part, as we dig into God's word, would you pray with me as we ask God to bless his word to our understanding. Father, we have come again to hear from heaven. Lord, these are your words And we pray that they would uh, penetrate our hearts, that God would be encouraged and strengthened and built up, Lord, in our faith. And as we begin this new year, many of us have things in the last year that we would like to leave in the past. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to take those things that have perhaps anchored us uh, in the past and help us to leave them there for your spirit to deal with. And, Lord, we pray for those glorious things of the future. Lord, as we embark on this journey for each of us to find someone and invest in their life so that the gospel would be preached to them that they would receive the great gift, the glorious gift, the wondrous gift of salvation. Lord, would you instruct us through your word to that end. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and God's people all said, amen. Verse 1 here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren that our coming to you was not in vain. And let's hover there for a moment. Paul's purpose was to win people to Jesus Christ. And that was a simple mission that he was on. But it was a difficult mission. It's one that was fraught with all kinds of difficulty, with pain, with suffering, with a whole bunch of not good things. And so I want to remind you that living right side up in an upside down world at times is going to be painful. People are going to look at you, they will mock you. They're they're going to look at your life and say, man, you are really weird. There's something seriously wrong with you. You've taken this Jesus thing way too far. That's part of the cost of being a disciple. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It is going to cost you something to follow Jesus. Maybe it's going to cost you what you think is your worldly reputation. Maybe it will cost you something in business. Perhaps it's going to cost you uh, financially. It may cost you in a relationship. You may lose some friends over following Jesus. But if you're a real follower of Jesus, it is going to cost you something. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi. You see, they preached the gospel in Philippi and got beat up for it. And now they're heading off to go do it again. They had holy boldness. Do you have holy boldness, church? It's time for the church to have holy boldness. 
And we're going to get to that in a moment. And as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You know, it's funny to me that how many people find it very easy to talk about religion. To even talk about church. But they find it very difficult to preach the gospel. To tell the truth about what it really means to be a child of God. That it actually means if you are really a child of God that your life is going to change. That all things are in fact going to become new. And that you're going to hate sin like God hates sin. And as the Lord works in your life, the old things are going to pass away. You see, we like to talk about church, and we like to talk about program. We even like to talk about God, but very often we don't like to talk about the gospel. But family of God, it is the gospel that saves the lives and the souls of men. Without the gospel, there is no salvation. And there's exactly one gospel. There's not two. There's not ten. There are not alternate ways to get to heaven. There is one way, truth and life, and his name is Jesus. Amen? We need to recognize this. Because we're not about doing church. We're about living gospel lives that lead people into the place that they ask the question, why are you like this? Why is your life the way it is? That's an open door for us to win one. To preach the gospel. To minister the truth of the gospel message. Paul did that and he did that only. I'm not saying that everything in church ought to be abandoned. We have over 40 different ministries in this church. And they range from men's and women's and couples ministry and prison ministry. We have all kinds of things going on. But the goal in every one of those ministries is to preach the gospel. The goal in the mission field is to preach the gospel. To go ye therefore into all of the world and to preach the gospel. It's not to preach church. It's to preach the gospel. And so I want to challenge you as we begin the new year. Let your life be a gospel tool in the hand of the Lord. Let's not just talk about it. Let's live it. Let's not just be Christians in name only. Let's be Christians in our living so that we are so substantially different from those who don't know the Lord that people want to know why we are the way we are. For exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Our motivation was pure. But as we have been approved by God, you see, at the end of every day for the believer, we are to be approved by God. Not by a political party, not by a group of other people, not by an organization called the church. We want to be well-pleasing to God himself. And while organizations can be helpful in getting us motivated the right way, they can also be a distraction and make it so we're looking for the approval of someone other than God. Family, we seek 
the approval of God. And him only do we seek to find approval from. And here's what's going to happen if you actually live this way. People may not approve. You may actually find that there are a few folks that don't actually like you. You may upset a few apple carts, turn over a few money changers' tables. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Paul considered himself a steward of the mysteries of God, of the gospel message. That message was not something that Paul made up. That was what God did in his life. And he was a steward of that. He was given that entrusting of the gospel. Not as pleasing men. You see, it's easy to be a man pleaser in this world. It's easy to find favor with people because they're fickle. We are fickle. You can always find a group of people to agree with you. All you got to do is talk like them, walk like them, act like them. And you'll be their friend. You will fit right in. But it's not so easy to be pleasing to God. It's not so easy to be approved by God. We don't want to just please men. But God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. I can tell you there are a lot of times when people come to me and they have an agenda. And they use flattering words. They will say all the right things. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then the the bomb drops. Well, I want to start a new ministry in the middle of Calvary Chapel of South Bay. And I've got this, and oh, by the way, I need $10,000 to start it and a job. Flattering words, platitudes. But they're not actually after putting forth the gospel. They're after something for themselves. Maybe a position. And as you know, nor was it a cloak for covetousness. For God is witness. You see, a lot of times people just simply want what we have. They don't want the Jesus we know. Oh, they like the churchy thing. They like to feel religious. But they don't want the life change that comes with knowing the Savior. We have to preach the real gospel, family. And we have to be unashamed about preaching the real gospel. That's going to set us at odds with people from time to time. Nor did we seek the glory from men either from you or others, when we might have made demands as the apostles of Christ. You see, Paul was a big deal in the world of Christendom. And there are things he could have said, could have done. There are things that men and women of God that are being greatly used of the Lord, they can demand, and they'll usually get. But Paul said, look, I want to make sure of one thing. Christ alone receives the glory from my life that he was about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we set this up, 
I'm going to give you four things that we can take away from this passage this morning. But the message of the gospel is a treasure that's been entrusted to you. And it is strange to me, while many of us have safes in our homes, I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hands in case there's somebody in here who's evil. Oh, they've got a safe. We'll go to their house. But in that safe, we have all kinds of things, like, like, you know, maybe your marriage license and some valuable photos, or perhaps you have some gold or silver or coins or stock certificates or watches or stuff from grandma and grandma. You put stuff in there that you, in essence, want to hide because it's yours. And you don't want anybody else to take what you have. And so you lock it up, and you place it on, you turn the dial, you press the code, and now nobody can have it. Can I tell you that is exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do with the treasure of the gospel. You should not be putting it under lock and key. You should be hanging it and dangling it from everything that you own. Every place you go, everything that you are, every word that you speak, every conversation that you undertake should have the treasure of the gospel so visible that people can take all that they can get. The treasure of the gospel is meant to be given away. And we need to be busy to that end as we begin this new year. We're stewards of it. It doesn't belong in our little safe locked up in church. It doesn't happen only when you come through the church doors or you go to a prayer meeting or you hang out at a Bible study. The gospel is the life that you live. It's who you are. It's not something that you do. It is something that you are. The gospel is our life. That's why we're still here. The reason you've been left on this earth as a believer is to share the good news of the gospel. And so let's take it seriously. Let's really begin this new year with the gospel in view. Legitimately concerned for the souls of mankind. Willing to pay the price necessary for the good news to be put forth, proclaimed. Your neighborhood, my neighborhood, our church, this area of of the city of Los Angeles, all of our state, our world, ultimately. As I said as I began, as I, I shared last night, there are four basic ways that light reacts with objects in our world. It can be translucent passes right through it can be opaque it can be blocked it, it, it can be scattered it can be refracted or it can be mirrored and I would purpose to you that we ought to be mirrors because we do not produce the light ourselves the light is given to us from heaven It came from Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the light of the world, but we now have the responsibility to shine that light back out on the world. 
I'll give you a little thing. You go in the bath. I don't know if you're like, you go in the bathroom. And I'm kind of thankful that the mirror is dirty upon occasion because I can't see me. I'm like that little bit of, you know, toothpaste or whatever's on there. When you look at it, it's like, oh, great. I, I look a lot better with the toothpaste. But it's not a true representation of me. Because if I cleaned it, I'd go, oh, man, you're old. And much in the same way, we need to clean the mirror of our own lives so that the light that bounces off of us is the real Jesus. We should be beaming him back to this world. Not looking to be beamed up ourselves, though that is part of it, but we need to be shining the light by reflecting Jesus to the world that we live in. Let's draw four things from this passage. The first of which you can see it very clearly is boldness in ministry. Dr. Martin Luther King said very wisely, said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Paul was like that. Paul was like that. He was not lazy about his boldness. He was zealous in his boldness. He wasn't a fair-weather gospel preacher. When it cost him something, he was willing to preach the gospel. He was bold in his ministry. He was willing to go to combat. He was willing to struggle. He, he was willing to be tested. He was willing to even get a beat down if necessary. Can I just tell you, you know, it's okay if people mock you if you read your Bible? I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he, he said he finally stopped taking his Bible to work. And I asked him why. Because I usually get, well, it's illegal. Which, by the way, if anybody tells you that, it's not illegal to take your Bible to work. That's what I was expecting. He says, no, I was just tired of getting made fun of. And I shared with him, that's a badge of honor. Why, why would you worry about someone making fun of you for reading your Bible? He said, well, it just became hard to get my job done. Family, we need to be willing to pay the cost. And sometimes the cost is just your own personality. It's the way you feel about things. Now, I'm not suggesting it's easy to have people make fun or mock you. But they mock Jesus. They're going to mock you. Praise the Lord, you're not going to be scourged like he was, at least not yet. But do you have that kind of holy boldness to absorb a few stripes for your Lord because he took all of your stripes? Are you willing to do the same for him? Are you willing to count the cost and pick up your cross and follow him? You see, you may have not known it, but you're actually all in the MMA that's the master's mighty army. You need to do battle. You need a war a little bit. You're going to get dirty. You may even get shot. And of course I'm speaking metaphorically. At least not yet here are we actually being shot. Other parts of the world, they're actually being shot. And burned. And tortured. And beaten. And stoned. 
And we have it so easy in our country because our laws actually protect our right to share the gospel. It is getting more difficult, I will grant you that. But it's not impossible. So let's be the way Paul was. His preaching was with much contention. It's an athletic term that's used there in the original language. It means to have a contest or struggle with. The gospel is going to cause contention in some of your relationships. Because when you tell people you must be saved, all you're doing is repeating what the Bible says. All you're doing is repeating what Jesus said. You're not making it up. The Apostle Paul said that caused him struggle. It's going to cost you some struggle in life. Absorb the blows. Take a few for the team. Amen? Team Jesus. Be an all or nothing kind of person for the Lord. A second characteristic. The message was pure. Verse 3 says, For our exhortation did not come from error, which is the first word I want to focus in on, or uncleanness, nor was there any deceit in it. Look, there's only one gospel. There's not two gospels. There's not ten gospels. There's one gospel. The same gospel that Christ himself gave us is the one that Paul preached. It's the one that Peter preached. It's the one that John preached. That's why Peter got in so much trouble in the book of Acts. He just looks at the people and says, Look, this man, Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he looks right at a bunch of Jewish people and he says, Whom you crucified. I'm pretty sure that was not popular. There's only one gospel. The message is pure. You can't dumb it down. Too many people make the gospel about what church they go to or what organization they belong to or which book about the Bible they read. And while I wish to offend no one, you don't get saved from reading the 40 days of purpose, okay? You get saved because you have believed on the only begotten Son of God. Amen? It's not about books about the Bible. It's about the Bible itself. The message is pure. Keep the message, the real message. You know what's going to happen? You're going to find that way and that truth and that life, that John 14, 6 path, the only name. You're going to find out that's really exclusive. You're going to find out he is actually the only chief cornerstone. And in fact, just as Peter said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby men must be saved. That's what Peter said. He didn't say you got saved by going to a specific church or joining some Christian club or reading a book about the Bible. He said there is one name that has the power to save and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Keep it pure. Make it about Jesus. A third thing. His motivation was holy. You can preach the right message with the wrong motivation. 
In Paul's day, there were all kinds of charlatans of varying degrees. And they preached a message that, in essence, was to gain themselves a following, to build up a church, to make church about a person. And in one sense, the church is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. But it's not about the pastor. It's not about the worship team. It's not about the building. It's not about what resources we have or do not have. It is about glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what church is about. And we need to keep it holy. It's a holy calling that we have. Now, of course, we can make it diverse. Of course, we can have lots of things we do to get people to that place to where we have an opportunity to preach the gospel to them, but we have to have the right motivation. And it's not simply to grow numerically. It's not to grow financially. It's not to make it so that we have more stuff. It's to make it so that there are more kingdom kids that are going to heaven. Amen? And for some people, I think they think wrongly about these things. We don't want to be accused of being in the ministry for any other reason than preaching Christ and Him crucified for the remission of sin. That's why I am in ministry. And it is the only reason that I'm in ministry. And it should be the only reason that you are in ministry. To make Him known. Because it is only His name that has the power to save. That's why Paul, as he wrote to the church at Philippi, said that one day every knee will bow. There isn't another knee to which anyone will ever bow ultimately. They may bow today, but when it gets down to judgment day, they're going to bow to one knee, and that's the name of Jesus. That's it. They can either do it now or then. You will do it then. God wants you to do it now so you can be saved. Our motivation has to be His holiness. Very sensitive subject when people get into being religious salesmen. And I, I just got to be, I have a problem with, with pastors owning $50 million jets. I'm just telling you, straight up, I got a problem with it. I got a problem with multi-million dollar homes. I got a problem with $10,000 suits, and I got a problem with big fat diamond rings. And here's why. Because someone can look at that, and they can accuse God. And they'd probably be right to do so. Maybe not. But you know what? I can fly coach. I, I know how to get on a plane. We've got to be careful because we're in the business of the gospel. And the gospel is holy and it should honor God. And a fourth characteristic. The methods that Paul used, and it's the rest of this passage beginning in the latter part of verse 3, nor is there in it any deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God. That is the very definition of righteousness, to be well-pleasing to God. You see, you can be perfectly right and yet not righteous. 
You can have the facts correct. You can align all the bits and pieces and parts and still not be okay with God. You can assemble a very nice equation that paints towards the flesh. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, the only thing about this gospel message I want you to know is I want to be well-pleasing to God. That means you're probably going to have a few problems with people. Because in the end, the true gospel message is a message that is super exclusive. And so you cannot build God's kingdom with the garbage of this earth. And yet people try. There has to be righteousness involved in it. There can't be guile. There can't be deceit. There can't be trickery. You can't use the world's methods and methodologies to grow the kingdom of God. I did an interesting word study, a little search in the middle of last week as I'm putting this study together. And I just typed in ways to get people to church. It was nuts the things I got back. I just wrote down three of them. We're having a beer bash to support our missions team. This is a church in Minnesota. We're gathering together after church. We're going to suck back some mini, you know, some micro brews. Praise the Lord, bro. And oh, by the way, we've got designated drivers. I'm pretty sure that's not of the Lord. Because the last time I looked, drunkenness is a sin. I'm pretty sure God doesn't need us to have beer bashes to get people to come to church to support the missions team. Another one. Everybody who shows up on Sunday gets not one, but two lotto scratchers. Because we want you to know God loves you. And oh, by the way, we are offering addiction counseling afterwards. Those are not holy motivations to bring people to church. Another church here in our local area. Four straight Sundays. We're raffling off a Harley. And they had it on the platform. Now for those of you that ride Harleys, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad you have one. But you ain't going to find one on the platform at this church. We don't need it. That which I received from the Lord, that I offer you. And that is the gospel. There's one message that the church is supposed to have, and it's a righteous message. It's right with God. You see, too often the church uses methods that are just like the world. Have you ever noticed how our government just totally manipulates our thinking? And after a while, you know, they just say stuff and you're like, oh, okay, well, it must be fine. Some of the church does that. I'll give you an example. The word billion. Our government uses the word billion like it's three bucks or something. It's like, well, it's just a billion dollars. It's a billion here and it's a billion there. It's a billion there and it's a trillion here and a trillion there. Let me put it in perspective. We get so used to using the world's methodologies A billion seconds ago, it was 1959. A billion minutes ago, Jesus was alive on this earth. A billion hours ago, God had not yet created the heavens and the earth. 
And a billion dollars ago, the way our government spends it was eight hours and 21 minutes ago. You see, the church starts to fall into that. It's like, oh, it's only this. It's only that. It's, it, well, it's kind of, yeah, I know about the gospel. And they don't even get the whole gospel message in. It needs to be righteous. It needs to be holy. It needs to be pure. And it's going to be costly, family. That's the message that we have. It's a message that will transform people's lives. It'll take them from children who are walking in darkness to children who are walking in the light because they've bumped into you and you shared the truth with them. And you're going to challenge people. Say, look, I have the answer to what ails you. And they're going to go, really? Is it a program? You see people say, well, yeah, well, if you just come and you do this 12-week thing, then you know, eventually you're going to be fine. No, you need to meet my Savior. You need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your Lord. You need to deliver yourself into His hands and be saved. Not, well, you know, kind of come to church and we've got some stuff going on and, and we love to eat. You see, that's the world. The world does that. Now, graciously and wonderfully, we still get to have fun as believers We still get to gather together and enjoy fellowship one with another. But let's make sure that we're preaching the real gospel, the real Christ, the one who can save. It's not just some slick marketing event that we do here on Sundays. We have the words of life. And when people hear it, their lives can be transformed and they can be taken from dead to alive. Don't forget that, family. As we enter this new year, we're probably going to stir up a few things. That's okay. Preaching requires character. It requires the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's no shortcuts to it. There's no way to get around the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? He's Lord. That means master. You can't just go, well, I like Jesus the Savior, but this whole Lord thing, I want to skip that. It's a package deal. The real gospel says that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not Jesus is just Savior and you can keep your sin. That's going to make a few people a little bit upset with you. It's okay. Do it for Jesus. Do it for them. We don't want to be cheap. We don't want to be tawdry. We don't want to dumb down the message of the cross. Because it costs God his own son. And for you to come to him will cost you your life. You're going to have to give your life to him. Because he gave his life for you. There is no shortcut. And so as we wrap things up, worship team's going to come back out. Paul had incredible character. And I pray that we as a church are known for our incredible character in Christ. 
that there's no compromise in us. That what we say, we also do. We live. The message that we preach, we ourselves believe. It's not one thing for us and something else for someone else. That we're bold in that ministry. That we are pure in what we teach. That we are holy in our living. And that our methods of our ministry are righteous. That they can be examined in the light of Scripture and found to be pure. Because character counts in this world. I think most of us are sick to death of the lack of character in general in our world. We have the answer of how to be of the right kind of character because we can be and have the character of Christ which is holy and perfect and pure. And I would say we need to walk that way. Because if we want the time to be shortened, if we want to hasten the coming, the only way to do it You know, Scripture tells us how to do this. You can hasten the coming of the Lord by preaching the gospel. That's the way. Because at the end, if everyone on the face of the earth gets saved, we can all go home. If we keep messing around, we may be here for a while longer. I'd like to go home. So let's get busy. Amen? Would you stand with me and let's pray. It means I just preached the gospel, I would be remiss. I, I wouldn't be true to my own words, nor to the message that I just taught, if I didn't offer an opportunity while we're still here today on this first day of the year. Maybe you came in, you're visiting with someone. They convinced you to come, and you just heard the gospel message for the first time. That Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by Him. You thought that religion saved you. But you now know that's not true. Or maybe you didn't even recognize that you're a sinner and yet Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the first time you've heard that. And maybe you came today and you want to make today that fresh start for eternity, not just this year. And so, church, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, and believers, please begin to pray for those that might be here and have heard the gospel and would want to respond to it. If you're here right now and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you want to, if you'll simply slip your hand up in the air, I want to pray with you right where you're at for you to receive the greatest gift you'll ever receive, the gift of salvation. And I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Are there any others? I see that hand as well. Praise God. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else? You, you, you don't know. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. If that's you and you want to know, Christ has died for you so that you could spend eternity with him. Just lift up your hand. Wherever you are, we're not going to have you go anywhere. You're going to stay right where you're at. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the Lord because he's not ashamed of you. And don't be afraid of people because they, uh, there's another hand. Anyone else? See all those hands. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Great way for us to begin this new year. Anyone else? Wait another moment or two. 
For those of you that have raised your hands, you can go ahead and put your hands down. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. I just pray it out loud. Church, pray for those that are praying. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I'm inviting you, Jesus, to come into my life and to free me of my sin. Thank you for forgiving my sin and cleansing me and making me new. I'm offering my life to your Lordship. I'm promising to walk with you all of my days. And I thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.